to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. We are also proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to distribute and publish audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Hi, everybody. This is the third episode of District Durkas. Durka Durka, Muhammad Jihad. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is Full Service Radio. We've been broadcasting and recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. So basically, a Durka from Yemen, that's me, Sama, and a Durka from Algeria, Lilia. Aloha. Living in the District of Columbia, we get together to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc., and all the prisms and schisms in between. We have a really interesting show for you tonight. It's, it's kind of a tricky subject to touch on. Lily and I thought about it, and we want to do it because it's so important that we talk about these things, but there's also some sort of hesitation, at least coming from me, that this is a subject that is definitely something that everybody has an opinion on. So let's, let's get to it. All right. Well, should we start with a clip or should we just uh, explain what's the... So for our non-Middle Eastern, non-Durka audiences who are trying to get their Durka on, this is the video clip that we're going to play on right now is going to be extremely controversial, especially if you're from the most conservative part of the Middle East. This is a singer. It's a, yeah, she's a trap artist from D.C. Um, she's from Saudi Arabia. And or she's, claims to be from there. Or claims to be. Her father, uh, she says, is from uh, Saudi Arabia. And she's making music very explicitly and exploring, um, you know, trap culture and maybe some Saudi aspects that I recognize in her videos that may not seem as though they are. But I think we should just listen a bit to her music and then get to sure. our conversation. Let's get it on. Love my maqua and I think it's going viral All this ass they know, they know They gotta follow KSC made me their idol They helped me build my empire Real dinner, Durham's all the fools I can't be bothered Saudis love my maqua and I think it's going viral Saudis love my maqua and I think it's going viral I- I'm just a Saudi girl, give me money and pearls I'm not your average hoe, 5'11 Aqstafirullah I'm down like the thickest ass. I want the thickest cash. He asked me if I could take it. A kid for day tick. He smacked me in the ass. We got the hashish rolling. The Zopa Well, this kind of goes on and on. Um, the most controversial thing is that the slang that she uses is very explicit. What is maqua? I've never heard it's that her, word. It's her, the V. It's it's what's down there. It's it's. Oh, no way. I yes. thought it was the derriere. It's probably derriere. To be honest, I'm not really familiar with me neither i've never heard this word <laughs> but I, I, I actually i think it is you're probably right i hope it's not the the very i mean there's a lot of attention um, on her behind on her yes yes so this is a tricky subject for us to talk about so just before we proceed with the episode this is you know general warning that we're going to start using some explicit words 
Uh, so if this offends you, this would be the time to kind of take a minute and step back or maybe turn off the radio. But if you want to listen to this, this is going to be an honest conversation from now on. So one of the things that she talks about and she refers to herself as is... Kahba. Yes. She's the... Well, it's a whore, but it's really like a bitch. It's, it's, yes, it's like a prostitute in a sense, like a, a girl that goes and sleeps with everyone. And so that word, you know, coming from Yemen, which is so close to Saudi Arabia, that word is like, you only say it to like dirty, filthy girls. It's not something that you want to call yourself. So in a sense, she's like flipping it and turning it on its head and embracing that term. Correct. But it has like different connotations. For instance, in Algeria, you can say just qahba is more like a bitch. So it could be positive, it could be negative, but it's not necessarily um, so controversial. It could also mean like you're the baddest. So she, she got one thing right, though, that, you know, her photos and her video did go viral, um, but not necessarily in a positive way. I mean, as a person who generally does not listen to a lot of trap music and especially not Arabic trap, I don't really have an ear for that kind of music. She might have invented the... Uh, the genre. Yeah, the combination, so... Um, generally speaking, if I'm listening to music, I don't necessarily want to listen to her as music, but I do want to, you know, as... I, I feel very conflicted about her. So let, let's, let's talk about how we feel about her, because as girls I feel who, great about her. You feel great about yeah, her? Yeah, I feel great about her. So, I think she's pushing so many boundaries and lifting so many taboos, and she's doing it... Like she's having fun. Yeah. Naked on the bed, jumping, dollar bills. She's, she's flipping the scenario. It's probably what goes on anyway, but she's being upfront about it. And so I have a problem it. with that, though, for, for two main reasons. One, it sounds like she's copying what's going on in the West, right? Like right away, imagine a song, a video clip with like, Bitch Better Have My Money by Rihanna. Like I imagine something similar, money, booty shaking, booty popping. That sentiment, is that sentiment Western or that sentiment is universally like owning up, bossing up? Well, that's the thing. It depends. Some would say it's feminist. Some would say that it's not. And from my perspective, I generally feel that everybody, every human has the right to say what they want to say. But as a feminist from the Middle East, I feel that what she's doing is hurting girls like me who have fought so much to get to where they are. What I mean by that is... In, in Yemen, everybody wears a headscarf. And I had to go through so much to, you know, to, to be able to not wear it like everybody else and to put photos of myself on Facebook and Instagram without a headscarf and to get backlash constantly about how I'm such a slut for not covering my hair, for showing my legs, for being who I am. And in Saudi Arabia, there's this idea that if, if you allow woman freedom, this is what happens. And so in a sense, she's kind of, you know, she's allowed freedom and she's portraying herself as that kind, in a sense, kind of igniting this like nightmare scenario in men's heads, which I'm not concerned about in any way, like let them go and go crazy with whatever they have in their mind. But in the Middle East, whatever you do reflects not only on you, but on your entire family. And while my family was extremely supportive in everything that I did, it was extremely hard on me personally to see them support me and go through this knowing that my choices, my personal choices were hurting them all collectively. Now, as I got older and as I lived in the United States, it got easier. So looking at her, I think that she has absolutely every right in the world to do whatever she wants. I support that freedom of, you know, of expression. But at the same time, I don't want to call it 
feminism in the Middle East or Durka feminism because I think that what women need there most right now is access to education, access to healthcare. Um, I think the stuff that they, they need is like, for example, women in Saudi Arabia were not even allowed to drive to like this past year. And I still think that they announced it for for political reasons. But you why know? would you want to sweet talk the establishment, the Saudi establishment? Isn't the setback playing by their rules? I mean, historically, we can see that whether a woman plays by the rule or not, the oppression is the same. And in a way, isn't she lifting a burden on you by the freedom she's taking that you have to um, pursue in increments, in painful increments? And she's just taking it and pushing it way out there. Isn't that lifting a no, burden instead it, of... Yeah, no, I agree. I think every movement needs its radicalism, right? Every movement needs someone who's really out there so that the middle can exist. And is it that radical? When you think about it, her video is no different than what a lot of Saudis entertain. They are infamous for prostitution and doing everything behind the closed doors. I mean, I would say that every culture has that. You so know, isn't not just she, so is, exactly, isn't she in a way calling out, yeah, but they've built a country... Uh, out of the notion of sanitizing every aspect from woman and sexuality to the point where they've actually achieved the opposite. They hyper-sexualized everything and they hyper-fetishized everything where a woman is just a covered vagina, a target, a walking target. And so what happens when you've inflicted so much asphyxia on normal, normal interaction, human interaction, you create a black market. Yeah, so in a you, sense, you, she's reactionary as opposed to her being herself, which is also another thing that I kind of... Like, feminism should never be entirely reactionary. It, sh it could be at times, but I think, you know, for long-term strategy or perspective, it shouldn't just be reactionary. It's almost not just reactionary because she's not going backward. What I was saying is you create, like, a, a, a black market of sexuality where everything is... They, they basically set up the price for what goes on. And she's saying, well... This is sexuality in Saudi Arabia, so I'm getting paid, and by the way, calling you out on your behavior and hypocrisy. Sure, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is to like realize and digest that women's realities are extremely different based on social class and economic status. And, and so if you're wealthier, you know, if you're a wealthier Saudi woman, then you don't have to wear the veil, you're not hypersexualized, you interact with men normally, you have a, a more relevantly liberal modern lifestyle. It's only the lower classes, low income families that, that have to struggle with these stereotypes and these confinements, right? But you still generally have to ask permission for everything. It's still kind of an extreme S&M club they have over there where you have to ask permission to do something and you always sure. are subjugated and unless you're from a specific family then then you kind of break the rules a little bit right a lot of Saudis who have money choose to live outside of Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. than live in it and I did know in the past and I you know I have many friends from there uh, I have girls who are from there who drive outside of Saudi Arabia but when they go back in Saudi Arabia they say that they don't want to drive in there they don't want the right to drive because they feel like their culture and society is not ready for that because they're so stuck in a specific time and a specific social norm that they can't confront it with modernity and with what's going on in the rest of the world. Now, what you said about her is right. Like before, you know, me not wearing a headscarf was so shocking that that would be the most radical thing that you could do. Now, she comes out and she is booty popping and she's talking about her sexuality and how she likes to sleep with men and how, sure, great, like, 
right. He is now the radical. So in, a, in turn, I look like this middle ground. But I think the problem is families are afraid that their daughters will be like that. And then that's a problem. Well, in a sense, I also don't want... That's kind of how they call it, the, the politics of um, respectability. It's like the politics of compromise. Sure. Like the, the setback is their mentality, is the fact that they're afraid that their daughter might have sexual desires and want to express them. That what needs to... I don't know if they're afraid of their daughters having that. I'm, think, I'm thinking they're afraid that their daughters are going to be over-sexualizing themselves. Right? And what it's doing is like it's not allowing for everything to coexist some some people are sex positive some people are less but by sure repressing you're just creating you know the two extreme and i think that's what dana that's is. What she is she represents yeah. she's not on saudi she's to me typical saudi because she's still engaging in that sexual conversation i agree so what i'm saying is when a, a woman is completely veiled from head to toe she is treated as a sexual object that needs to be completely covered And so when you have a woman talking about her sexuality explicitly on the other end, we're still talking about women as sexual objects. We have not broken free from that conversation. And mm-hmm. what we need to do is to break free from that where we are capable, we are thinkers, we are doers, we are, you know, we're not just mothers, we're friends, we are just equals, right? And so as long as the conversation continues to be about whether you own your sexuality or not and whether you're modest or not, then women will continue to be trapped. But that's kind to be of defined what, by their that's bodies. the business of their ideology. And that's what she's putting the finger on. But that's the so the only problem I have with that and is that she's not doing it consciously. Well, like, she's it's calling by, herself a human activist from uh, Saudi Arabia. And I appreciate what you're saying, as in like we have to be comprehensive with our feminism. But par- part of being comprehensive is accepting that not everyone is going to be like an articulate spokesperson or a writer or a traditional activist. Some people resort to, you know, provocation or music. Music is a sure. valid way of forwarding feminism. So one of the things that really disappointed me when I was kind of looking Hashtag her Madonna. up, one of the things that disappointed me was that when I looked up videos of her, she was not engaging things on an on an educated level like she wasn't really aware of what she was doing but she was doing something nonetheless and then also on top of that in her language used she has expressed some racist remarks towards other ethnicities and nationalities and so in that regard it's like how do you is she an activist or is she just someone looking for attention is she trying to be the arabian kim kardashian is she like you know what i mean we have to take that i think intention has a lot to do with how we're going to look at this person. Yeah, it's all of it. The only reason why it's relevant is because she contrasts the the Saudi regime or else she would just be another... I mean, now we've talked a lot about Saudi and I just kind of want to point out that like so many other places have issues with women. Like there was a story that I read when I was like seven and it's part of like, again, lower class, low income families in Jordan where if a woman has premarital sex, they would like set her on fire or kill her. In Yemen, specifically, there are a lot of girls that if they have premarital sex, they just disappear. People just say that she went to live with her uncle or aunt or somewhere. And if, if you are raped, up until very recently, you had to marry your rapist. You know, like this is not just a Saudi Arabia thing. I think that the problem with Saudi Arabia is that they take these rules and they make it part of the state. They champion the culture. They make it part of the state, right? Like They're it's never not just, checked. It's not just custom and tradition. They actually have a police force 
that goes around making sure that everyone is, make, you know, like they have the matawa, and the matawa walk around and they supervise people's religious behavior. And I think it reduces religion into appearances where everybody is looking like they're religious or that like they're obedient to God in their perspective, but then they're not necessarily in their heart like believers. And I think that's... Oh, they're the biggest uh, Islamophobes. They're the center of Islamophobia. I mean... They're marketed better than anybody else. I mean, I have, I have a lot of problems with Wahhabism, which is the really conservative sect of Islam. But at the same time, I have hard time generalizing that all of Saudi Arabia is like that because of... I think they say it themselves. They say it's not religion, it's culture. They're very well aware that these are arbitrary cultural norms that they want to perpetuate. So actually, and- before Wahhabism came about... In the majority of Saudi Arabia, there was they used to practice shamanism and mm-hmm. very liberal forms of, you know, religious expression. And there's a great piece or a book called Getting God's Ear. And it's about women's role in that religion where they kind of practiced uh, rituals that some would say are even similar to voodoo that are all eradicated. And so Wahhabism, before it destroyed any form of Islam in the world, what it did is it really destroyed the the past of Saudi Arabia prior to Wahhabism. Now, the problem is, is it merged and became political. And now, you know, Fatma Mernisi, who is an amazing professor in Morocco, she passed away recently, but she used to write a lot Rest in power. about feminism and about these forms of trying to control political status quo in the country by distracting everyone and taking their attention off of the important things and just letting them focus on women, sexuality, alcohol, and she nailed it. I mean, she, she always talked about petrodollars and, and she predicted that there would be an Arab Spring and a revolution. And I mean, I'm so upset that she's gone because she would have been an excellent like person to contribute to something like this. And she was also someone who was able to talk about feminism without, uh, you know, hypersexualizing the way that she feels about her sexuality or anything like that and without being veiled. She managed to do it in an Islamic, local, Moroccan way that is true to her. And so in a sense, I, I like that. She was able to break away from white feminism and, and See, kind of like engage it. I don't like the term it. white feminism. But it exists. White feminism... It exists, it exists only politically in the sense that... Okay, so there's white feminism as in feminism is feminism. Now, if you're a white feminist, like what's problematic with it is not being, a, being tone deaf to other communities feminism being toned after their own struggle because you're exempt from these struggles so that's white feminism but feminism like the thesis of feminism pertain to any any person who engages in the movement but that that's not true you can only say white feminism in the sense of yes being tone deaf but that's not white feminism it's more the critique of feminism the tendency of a dominant culture to be blind to the different degrees of feminism achieved in other places who have had less of a space and time to progress their own values. Well, I think it's a little bit more than that in the sense that when feminism came about in specific places, it only looked at a specific strata of society. And so, like you said, it was tone deaf. But then the problem is, is that they make that the norm and then they project that onto everyone and then they expect it to be the standard that every other nation, every other culture should have. But and a lot of arbitra- women from different cultures objected to that. That's why you have the birth of black feminism. And then you have, you know, all these movements coming out. And then you have intersectional feminism. And it's about 
you know, like, let's not leave a woman behind just because your experience taught you ABC. Right. And so sometimes in the Middle East, I mean, there's definitely like Islamic feminism where women who wear headscarves, even though some in the West might see it as an, a sign of oppression, the women who wear headscarves actually see it as a sign of empowerment see, and they the feel a certain way with, about it. With calling something white feminism is that it removes agency from where, what if you're Muslim and you actually feel oppressed by the veil and that's not white feminism. Actually, arbitrarily labeling something white feminism is actually empowering that notion of making yourself the standard and deciding what's a priority for these women and what they should be focused on. Well, so I, in I the hear critique, what you're actually, like... I hear what you're saying, but to, to wear, you know, to be oppressed and to be forced to wear a headscarf is exactly what Middle Eastern feminism should be about in the sense that we shouldn't be talking about being sexual or non-sexual. We Why can, not? we can, but Coming what I'm saying Algeria, is... Coming from Algeria, not, it's not mandatory to wear the scarf. We're at a different level where I feel... Dana is relevant. Sure. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but to me, it's not about, you know, you should really embrace your sexuality. No, it's you should be free to choose whatever you want. That's how it should be. You, you want to wear a headscarf? You wear a headscarf. Yeah. You want to take it off? You want to walk naked? Okay, maybe you just... You want to make a video? You, know, you shouldn't risk your life for it. You shouldn't be called names. You shouldn't be alienated. That's true in an ideal world, but we live in the real world and there are consequences based on where you come from and what you're doing, right? And so Dana is that kind of glass barrier. The only, the only thing is, she's also doing it from the US, right? She filmed this video clip in Washington, D.C., which is a great platform. Yes, because but she's not there doing that there. What would happen if she was there, right? Like, that I is... I see that as an advantage. I think these people are very important people who have, like, one foot in one culture and the other are our best diplomats because they can cross lines that we're conditioned to stay behind and they don't see them and they just move the status quo. Sure, but maybe, she, maybe people there on the ground don't relate to her entirely. You know what I mean? Like maybe... It's not that hard to relate. And that's also like a, a double standard. Like people are not ready. That's a form of orientalization almost. I don't think that people are not ready. What I'm saying is maybe women there don't relate to her experience. Like she is being Saudi, but we watched videos of her and I have my suspicion that she's even Saudi because she has broken Arabic can't say two words besides makwa and so to me that's kind of like how saudi are you like you're challenging a culture that you're not really that familiar with right but i don't think she's trying to be the ambassador for saudi culture just specifically what she addresses but saudi sexuality nonetheless i don't think you can like sum up saudi sexuality in a in a five minute clip but from that's but that's what she's girl. trying to do like no, under what she's her trying name. to do is self-express and that's yes. within the bounds of what she understands and self-express by offending others well, what doesn't? And well, that's the thing. If how she, should that be the measure she, of your expression is whether you will offend? Well, the thing is, no. What if she just did the same thing, but took out the fact that she's from Saudi and that Saudis... Like, let's say that she took the word Saudi out of it altogether. Would she have gotten the same attention? As I said, the reason why I thought she would be a good subject is because she painted herself Saudi. And that's the middle finger to them. And probably they love it. Yeah, well, I think people are going to be torn about Dana and people are going to have two sides about this. And if they're annoyed, it's, that's even better. Get irritated, like get critical. Think about why this irritates you. No, I mean, I think it's great. It I mean, made not me you personally, think, No, but for me personally, it made me think about stuff and where I stand. And it comes down to, you know, as, 
uh, a person who believes in human rights, everybody's free to do whatever they want. In terms of feminism, sure, this could be called feminist in some category of no, some sort. She is a feminist. Sure. We, we, we are not but, here to But I'm talking about is, Durka feminism. That's still slightly undefined. Well, I'm a Durka, and I'm calling it. So Dur- feminism is not a month. Mono, monolith- exactly. monolithic movement. Sure. It's very, you, you have a spectrum, you have people who are more sex positive, more people who are sex negative, people who think this is irrelevant. Well, but no, what I'm saying is, for me personally, like you say that she's a feminist to someone like you, to me, and, and this is how to show the beauty of how you can have different opinions and still be kind of from the same background uh, or similar background. The idea is that for me, I, I would like to take you know, woman from the Middle East out of the sex conversation and talk about other things. Like that... We can still talk about other things. That's Talking a trap to women. It's not. It's not like other movements are ceasing to be because Dana put up a video. People are still pushing to be part of political, social institution, have more of a voice. That will never cease. She's just, we need all the help we can gather. I don't think she's helping that much. <laughs> but so, I mean, she's free to express not herself. Her specifically, but I mean, the, the debate can happen on many levels, many platforms. Yes, we want to be more engaged in the political life. Yes, we want to be able to make music, be explicit. It's all, it's all connected. Yeah, and the best way to help women, in my opinion, is through the law and through installing rights for women. Right. So the first step before anybody can act like Dana in the Middle East, you know, not just outside of it in America making videos. But if women like that want to make videos in the Middle East, what needs to happen is there needs to be laws in place protecting these women, allowing them, you know, if 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 they get a divorce, specific rights, if something happens to even protect them from men from their own family, their brothers, their uncles. And I think this is something that we should explore in future episodes about the realities of of women on the ground and how music also can bring forth change and is a force and is you know useful in in the struggle and kudos for splitting the saudi flag between the lgbtq and saudi flag is that what she did yes she did that ah so so if you're listening to us this is district (laughs) durkas i'm sama and lilia we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back Break music today. It's by Flash Frequency, local producer. Also hosts a show here on Thursdays called Leaf Broadcast. Again, this is original music from Flash Frequency. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to District Durkas. Durka Durka, Muhammad Jihad. We are uh, broadcasting on full service radio from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. So I am Sama from Yemen. I'm a Durka, and this is Lilia. Hello. We live in Washington, D.C. again. We get together to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Earlier, we were talking about Dana Lotebi, who went viral, and she did a video about her uh, sexuality. It was her a trap nipple. song. 
Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so again, uh, heads up that it's a little bit explicit. But just to let you guys know, Lilia and I usually talk about topics that include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc. And all the prisms and schisms in between. If you guys were listening to us, that was just one of many controversial conversations that we'd like to take. If you also are listening to us and you don't think that that was controversial, controversial at all, stick with us. It's only going to get um, more comfortable than this in the future. This week, we have prepared an important segment for you. So every week we bring a segment called Orientalism Expressed. And so for this week, we chose the obvious choice since we're talking about women and the Middle East, we are going to talk about sex, sex in the city, city too. So excursions to Abu Dhabi. Well, Morocco, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have the video played for you guys. The robes are called abayas and the veil that covers everything except the eyes is a niqab. Certainly cuts back on the Botox bill. <laughs> Women are required to dress in a way that does not attract sexual attention. Samantha, we're at the hotel. It's a free zone. Still, out of respect. Well, I gotta say, I am digging the sequin trim on the Real Housewife of Abu Dhabi. What's up with that? Younger Muslim women are embracing old traditions in new and personal ways. Well, I could get into the head wrap, but the veil across the mouth, it freaks me out. It's like they don't want them to have a voice. Yeah, or hormones. I cannot find one internet hormone site that's not blocked. So that was many, one of many, many clips. Yes. And by the way, about the Botox, she said something about wearing the veil will reduce your Botox bills. It's actually, their study came out, and people wearing niqab, full-on veil, have uh, noticed that there's an acceleration of uh, aging because of the heat. Yeah. So, no, it will not reduce your bot Botox bills. I don't Probably think she was talking from a scientific point. So I, mean, just, I, wanted, I wanted to clear that out. <laughs> so what I love is m many things. One is that uh, the character who started on describing what a hijab and a niqab is yes, uh, like was saying very it. very Victoria's Secret-esque. I know. She was saying it in a very sexy, slow voice, <laughs> which is very unlike her character in the show. Um, and then you have like this like exotic what's supposed to be like middle eastern music playing in the background like doo -doo 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 -doo. was it bangra I, I i don't know it was just like doo -doo 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 -doo. and then like there was so much going on and i loved sarah jessica parker just going abu dhabi like the the housewife of abu dhabi was was fantastic to me but what i love is like they said that women wear it to take off or to put off unwarranted sexual attention like my experience with the niqab and, and the hijab is that the way that you put it on can even over-sexualize you that men even prefer in the Middle East women wearing a abaya, a hijab, a niqab because it, it accentuates specific parts and hides other parts and it's become such, like if you go to Dubai, for example, or Abu Dhabi, like there's so many styles of abayas and niqabs that are so beautiful and so eloquent it almost looks like women are always dressed up in a gown kind of thing so sometimes some women look far less attractive the minute they take off their abaya and their like whatever they have going on because they even have like you know at, at some point they were selling like 
these massive headbands to put on top of their heads so that their hijab can like be a specific shape to accentuate the way that it covers the behind. And I mean, there's just like this whole science that women go through to make sure that they look a certain way when they wear it. It's a bit like uh, Europe in, uh, you know, the 16th, 17th century. All these, like they were coiffed. Exactly. Yes. Oppression. Yeah. So, but in fashionably. So yes. Exactly, but I don't know about the oppression part because I think that some women really do want to wear it. Like, a lot of girls in Dubai, like, in Dubai, you don't have to wear the headscarf by force. Like, it's not mandated by the state. But I know that a lot of Emirati women choose to wear it in Dubai even though they don't have to. Yeah, because reputation... I mean, there's also the way of tradition and what's acceptable and what's considered, like, to be the honorable thing to do. And Like, it's a passport. Well, to me, I sometimes... I, you know, when I go to the Middle East, I put on abaya because I find it fun and I find it beautiful, aesthetically pleasing to me. And I find it, you know, it, it kind of, it, it, it complements the way that I look, you know, in a sense. And so when I wear it and I have my regular clothes underneath and I walk around, I love the flowy kind of capey feeling that it gives. Yeah, it's beautiful. If it's strictly fashion, it's just... Um, in that country, it's really hard to tell. The difference? Whether, yes, whether it's a real choice or whether it's a conditioned choice, which is a problem all over the world, but specifically there, the veil is something that is encouraged. Sure. So like in, heavily. in places like Yemen, for example, I would say that it's a problem because the majority of those who are wearing it are poor and women are forced to wear it, right? But in places like Dubai, for example, there's... A lot of wealth there. Women are financially independent. They don't have to subjugate themselves to what men say. They are free to marry men from outside their own country. So there is some sort of freedom. And they do have, you know, abaya fashion shows. Like, they do take it to the next level. And so in that sense, I do believe that a lot of women do wear it for fashion. But that's not to say that others don't. And I'd like to dispel Samantha's... Um, what did she say? The Botox? Not not the Botox. We've addressed that. Oh, something about hormones. She said pheromones. There was no, one about speaking. No, it's not. It's a, It's about the way she's uh, she's dressed. She has a cleavage and a jacket. And Charlotte, the conservative. Not Charlotte. It was the other one. Um, the uh, one with the red hair. Oh, businesswoman. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't remember her name. My, but Miranda. Miranda yes. keeps <laughs> advising her to cover her chest. That's not a thing in the UAE. Yeah, Foreigners are not. perfectly allowed to wear whatever wh- they want. Whatever they want. And actually, my, my cousin, Algerian, visits Dubai frequently. And she says that it is so liberating. Because in Algeria, you can wear whatever you want. But you will still be subjected to heavy cat calling and harassment in the street. Though sure. nothing is mandatory. And she said it was actually liberating to walk in Dubai in her mini short and because nobody's looking at you. So at least there was the freedom of not being looked at. It's probably an enforced. Uh, I, I would say people are still looking, but they have the freedom to do whatever they want. And Dubai is really shocking in that sense, you know, where you have women who are covered from head to toe and then women who are not covered at all. You know, they're barely dressed. And it's that's pretty to me because like everybody does what they want to do if they're foreigners. And if you're not a foreigner, like when I lived in Dubai, I didn't wear abayas. But you're not from there. But I am still Arab and I'm from a culture that dresses and acts similarly. And I did work. And you embraced it. I mean, yeah. Mm. Would you embrace it in Beirut? No, I didn't wear abaya or headscarf or anything like that in Dubai. I dressed the same way in Dubai, the same way I dressed in Beirut. I am the same person, you know, throughout. But what I what I enjoyed is that 
you you could be whatever you want. Correct. Like there's that sense that you can you can do that. So Samantha, you can keep your cleavage. Yeah, and, and this totally. is really you were trying to but, do something But here's there, the but thing that I'm going to say though. Like sometimes you do want to respect the culture that you're in, right? I disagree with that. I I kind of agree because in the sense that let's say we're walking out here in DC and then I'm at a grocery store and a woman walks in in a burqa, right? Covered from head to toe, wearing gloves and everything. Most people are going to be like shocked by her presence. They don't know how to take it. They probably won't harass her unless she's in a bad part of town that's extremely racist. But in America, there's freedom to do whatever you want to do. Right. And so she's walking around freely, but she's still shocking people and people don't know how to react to that. Now, had she if she takes off the face cover and takes off the gloves, then she would be easier to communicate with. Right. And so in a sense, people, you know, if, if you're going to come out and look entirely different than everybody else, just be prepared to, you know, just be prepared that you're going to stand out. That's I don't, I don't think it's a. It's not that you shouldn't respect the culture you're visiting, but the respect shouldn't be drawn from a, a woman's body. That shouldn't be the measure of respect. Again, this brings me back to the idea of like in an ideal world, yes, but but we don't based have time on reality. For the, we have to represent our truth. Sure, but I'm just saying, time, you know, take your time choice. Time is limited, so we have to take our stances. And I think this is not respect. I won't let respect be drawn from my body. I, I don't, again, I don't... It's mine. I'm not saying that she should cover up or somebody should, you know, dress a certain way because of where they're at. I'm just saying, bear in mind that if you're going to go to this place and everybody's dressed that way, you're going to stand out. It's kind of like when you go to a church, for example, in Italy or in the Vatican, if you're dressed a certain way, they're not going to let you in. Right. It's it's in some places it's just because they they act a specific way, like straights belong to everyone and you can do whatever you want. But just bear in mind, you know, like I mean, standing out, you could stand out here wearing all red. Yes. And I could stand it's, out. It's OK to stand out. Yeah. But then I but might feel not uncomfortable. Okay, not, right. Is, is, I might feel uncomfortable. conforming to the idea that you dressing the way you want to is somehow degrading everybody's experience. No, they I don't, need to I don't, get I don't think that. But at the same time, I do think that the way that you and I dress and the way that everybody else dresses is dictated by someone else, right? Like we are still following trends. We are still doing all these things. Like to what extent are we really, really free is a whole other thing, right? Yes. Like nobody can, I mean, it would be a, a, a beautiful world if everybody can just express themselves the way that they want to. Yes, but this one is so basic because it targets primarily women and the way they dress, so it's very easy to identify. And like so my solution to that is to subject men to the same treatment. Exactly. That was a bit of what yeah. I was trying to I say. I mean, and that's the problem with Sex and the City, too. The entire movie was just very superficial. It didn't touch on anything you know, beyond the surface, beyond the image, right? There is another part where Samantha follows women who are wearing a niqab and they take off their niqab and they take off their abais and they're dressed in designers from head to toe. And I guess that's what Samantha looks for in in people and is Carrie. designer labels and, and brand names. And so when they showed her that they were dressed in this lavish, you know, outfit that usually like an, a normal person, whether they dress modestly or not, cannot afford... Yeah, but you're in Abu Dhabi. Right? So, exactly. So, she goes, like, you are fabulous. And then she kind of connects with women from there for the first time. Like, it was the only scene where they're not treated as outsiders and where the women are not, like, hating on them. Right? So, the, the movie, to I me... I mean, the women are not so really many. present in the movie, but... I mean, fashion. Well, Sarah Jessica Parker came it's out. It's a lingua franca. Everybody, you know, Sarah recognizes fashion. Everybody can relate. 
isn't are, aren't like people from the gulf like big consumers of western oh, fashion yeah they are yeah absolutely but that doesn't represent like the entire middle east or the Durka nations that we're taking into consideration yeah, here the problem is now the discourse or the representation of Durkas has been amalgamated with the gulf well, the the thing is, so and it helps that they have sex in the city to the problem is they didn't even Morocco. They didn't even shoot it. Yeah, they didn't even shoot it. In yeah, the Morocco Gulf. is a place to be for Alexander the Great. Was it for Troy? So many things it's become a, such a, a historical land. They they shot a movie there that really offended me, and we're gonna save that for another episode. Can I guess? Is it Black Hawk Down? No, but okay. that one we we should talk about all these films in a future segment, but. All I'm going to say is that these conversations about the niqab or not niqab definitely need to be held by Durka women themselves. Uh, their perspective needs to be brought onto the table. And ultimately, I mean, I hope we come to a world where everybody can do what they want, you know, yes. out of conviction more than anything else. So I think our time here... Out of conviction and also protected by rights that allow them to play out those convictions safely and not infringe upon another person's conviction. Yes, so preach. Not, so... <laughs> So, everybody who's listening to us, thank you for tuning in to this episode of District Durkas. I kind of wanted to do... I don't know why, but I just did. Well, we have, we have a special sound effect that's supposed to go, to go off. Do we have that? Oh. So, we have that sound that played in the beginning, but, you know, to our listeners, we're going to start hearing it a lot more. You can go with that sound. Durking it up. <laughs> so, thank you guys for Durka, listening Durka. to us. Muhammad Jihad. Oh. There we go. So, <laughs> thank you, Jack. Um, so this is Full Service Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. I'm Sama. I'm Lilia from Algeria. And thank you guys for tuning in. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio. Broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.